situation like that with with uh, Byron Defoe and his knee. We've got Hal Gill. But uh, Byron. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> oh my goodness! That's the best goaltender fight I've seen in a long time. Byron Defoe TKO's Patrick Laline. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry, I'll hang up and listen, I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! back ladies and gentlemen to episode 16 of two goalies one mike i am your co-host johnny cullen alongside Dwayne steinell and folks do we have a beauty of a guest today a storied nhl career friend of the program some dynamite stories with our guest from episode 14 olaf kolzig uh, it's a real pleasure to welcome on byron defoe byron thanks again for being here man I love it. No, he did a good job stirring the pot. I know Dwayne was uh, Dwayne was instrumental in making this happen. Uh, so Dwayne, really quick, how did how did this all come to be? Uh, so I actually think I messaged you first, Byron, and you just weren't quick to answer. Oli actually answered uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I think within the hour I messaged him. Which wow, pot which shot. Honestly, which uh, which honestly blew my mind because, like, honestly, no offense, but like. Oli, out of, out of all the guys I, I, mess, I reached out to that day, Oli was, like, the guy for me that I reached out to, like, man, I really hope he answers. No offense, Byron, but, like, you know, I personally in 98, you know, he kind of broke my heart as a Sabres fan. I mentioned in episode 14 when they when they, when they they beat Buffalo, so I really wanted to get uh, get him on the show just because of that year. But uh, I definitely always admired you growing up because I think that was one of the best age – ages of goaltending in my opinion those mid to late 90s uh my opinion that's my favorite age when it comes to the position um but uh i believe you reached out to me not too long after maybe a few days later and then we set we 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 set something up uh in the future and you know i i had no clue honestly i had no clue at that point that you and Oli were as close as you were until johnny uh did a deep dive and researched a little bit that you guys were the best men at each other's wedding, which is wild to me that you guys that you guys were that close and that uh, which would make sense because you were drafted together. So, oh yeah, and, and like he's he's literally a five hour drive for me, straight south of British Columbia in Washington State, and uh, our families every summer get together and we talk a lot. So yeah, no, we've been friends for well since we got drafted. I mean, uh, back in '89. That's awesome. But uh, I, I must say that. Uh, I apologize for not getting back to you right away. 
I am busy and do stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I just got to say, Oli's probably just sits by the phone <laughs> his Twitter account. <laughs> Hey, I love it. I love it. Shots fired. Well, hey, Byron, I want to, I want to, we're going to get into um, the, you know, the fight uh, when we get it, you know, later on in the episode, but you touched on something I wanted to ask you about because I didn't realize this when we did the interview with Olaf Kolzig. Um, you mentioned now that you're living out in British Columbia and um, before I get to your days in the WHL, your middle name is Yarmir, correct? I am a big fan of that name, partially because Yarmir Yager is, you know, a friend of the program, a friend of mine. <laughs> no, but I, you know, he's one of the greats. And um, can you explain to us and the listeners at home, uh, is there any, you know, hidden meaning behind that? And I think it's an outstanding uh, hockey name. It kind of, you know, shows the writing on the wall that you were destined for greatness in this beautiful game of hockey. Well, yeah, I'll give you actually a good backstory on that. So my father is is uh, Czechoslovakian. My mother is English. I was born in England. And my um, mother brought me over to Canada when I was three months old. Okay. And so my on my birth certificate, my full name is actually Byron Yarmir Kubik. So Kubik is my born last name. And then when my mom, they, they end up getting divorced... And when she brought me over to the uh, to Canada, we came in through Montreal, and she didn't have the proper paperwork. And of course, this is back in 1971, so it's a little different, you know, right. as now trying to get over. And true story, the customs agent or, or immigration agent said to her, "You know what? You don't have his paperwork, but we're going to let him in. He looks like he'll be a hockey player." <laughs> and, <laughs> and so. You know, a couple of years later, my mom and I got remarried, uh, and and so my stepfather's last name is Defoe, and I ended up legally changing it when I was eight or nine years old. And so that's okay. that's where Byron Yarner Defoe originated and comes from. Now, the I only, love that. I mean, you you only not not a similar story, but same thing. You know, you know, both his parents were kind of German descent, born in South South America, uh, South Africa. Sorry. And then grew up in Canada, so like you guys are kind of all over the place as far as the world goes, which is pretty cool, if you ask me. Yeah, and, and what's even funnier about that, so I grew up in Comox Valley, which is a town of 25,000 on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. Oli, Oli's parents moved to a, a smaller town called Union Bay, which was about 15-minute drive from Comox Valley. <laughs> and so... In the summers, we were actually kind of in the same town without even knowing each other. And uh, that's cool. It's a small world. And then we both end up getting drafted to Washington. So. so that's what I wanted to ask you about. And um, going into that, you guys uh, obviously, you know, uh, is it safe to say you guys were rivals in, during your time in the WHL, both being, you know, same draft year? I can remember, at least for me, um, Byron, when I was, you know, my draft year, we had Philip Grubauer, uh, myself, um, you know, a few guys that ended up, you know, playing in the league, and uh, I looked at them as rivals. Was that like that with you and Olaf in your time in the dub? Oh, definitely. Um, we, we played against, so Ole is a year older than me, and his original draft year, he didn't get drafted. And um, we both played in the British Columbia Hockey League, uh, 
I played in a place called Waterfuca, which is in Victoria, and he was in Abbotsford. And I still remember, he really struggled in Abbotsford. And, and that was his draft year, because he was playing as a 17-year-old. I was playing as a 16-year-old. Right. And uh, he ended up going to New Westminster, which became Tri-City Americans. And I was my first year with Port of Winterhawks, so both of us in 1989. He gets drafted in the first round of Washington. So I'm thinking, okay, well, Washington said they're interested, but I guess I'm going to have to look at who's next on the list. Mm. And in the second round, um, Washington ends up, they traded actually with Buffalo, believe it or not, and picked up the, the pick and, and drafted me. And I love Ole's version of the story because he's sitting there down at the draft table shaking everyone's hands, uh, you know, with the cap on and the jersey on, and all of a sudden he hears, and with Washington's second pick, they picked Byron Defoe. <laughs> I love it. That's crazy. To answer your question on the rivalry part, oh yeah, we were huge rivals that season because uh, um, we actually played each other in the playoffs. And in the Western Hockey League back then, it was best of nine, if you can believe it. And so uh, we we took out Ole and his Tri-City Americans five games to two. And uh, him and I had had some uh, some pretty good battles uh, in net against each other. So I just I've never heard of that before. I mean, I mean, Cully, have you back to back rounds, especially first and second a team going goalie goalie? That, that, that that's wild. No, I, I I personally have it. I I it was it was nine rounds back then too, right, Byron? Yeah, no, it might have even been twelve rounds. Yeah, twelve. So to answer your question, Dwayne, no, I haven't. And I mean. We, I think we talked to Oli about it that you hardly even see first round goalies go anymore uh, because we take longer to develop uh, because you know everybody has their own path and uh, I think you're starting to see teams maybe wise up to that a little bit um, because you're you're seeing quality you know potentially Hall of Fame goaltenders taking fifth, sixth, seventh round. What is there to to say for every uh, Vasilevsky that you get in the first round? You know you get your Hopies in the fifth. So uh, it's awesome to see. You know, you and Olaf, uh, you know, I just think it's so cool to to see you guys go through that journey on the ice and, and what it kind of reciprocated off the ice. And, and that, that, I mean, that, that part of the story is what makes it awesome to me. So can you, can you tell me what it was like those first few camps together? Because Olaf did a great job, Byron, describing just the trials and tribulations of what it was like of him coming in and really not being a consistent pro and that journey of him, you know, learning the hard way of, you know, facing that adversity in the East Coast League, in the American League. Um, and, and then he finally broke through. So you guys being a part of the same organization, uh, do you have any memories or, or moments that, you know, you, you, you had yourself that you kind of realized, hey, I belong here. Uh, I'm ready, or, you know, vice versa, that, hey, you know, I, I got to do this, this, and this if I want to be in the national. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, what was, was kind of neat about uh, when we both got drafted that year is uh, Washington had their training camp that fall in uh, Sweden and Russia. And so it, they took the team from the previous season plus their first two picks, which were Oli and I, and that was it. So there was no other minor league guys or, or draft picks. It was the 
reigning team and Ole and I. And funny story is, uh, you know, we flew to Sweden first and they said, whatever you do, you know, when you guys land, it's going to be, you know, whatever, you know, noon, we're going to practice that night. Don't go to sleep. Well, of course, you know, we're 12 hours ahead or whatever it was. And so my roommate was John Drews. And I don't even remember, but the playoffs before that, Drew scored like 20 goals or something. Had just an unbelievable run. So he was pretty high on the totem pole. Well, he was my roommate. So we're sitting there killing a couple hours till practice that night. Well, we both fall asleep. And all I remember, and this is my very first training camp, my very first time on the ice with the Washington Capitals. I'm, I'm you know, 18 years old. Uh, the phone rings. I pick it up. It's the trainer. And he's like, where are you guys? We're at the rink. Like, you're late. And I'm like, holy crap. So, you know, hang up. Wake up, Brewster. Jump in the cab. Rip over the rink. Brian Murray is the head coach. Brian Murray. He, so my very, I haven't even met him other than the draft table. So my very first interaction with him is like, you know, hurry, get dressed, get on the ice. They're already doing drills and stuff. It's like total walk of shame. Skate over to him. Uh, like, uh, I coach Murray, uh, sorry. And, you know, he had a big list, but he's just like, Jesus Christ, where the hell are they? And he starts going off on me. And all he says, just get in the net. And uh, so that, that was my first taste of how to be a professional. Not the right way. And, of course, <laughs> Don Drew skates on the ice, and everyone stick taps. And, hey, Drew, see, way to go. You know? But, uh, <laughs> you know, to, oh, to, wow. yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty fun. And I actually had a really good training camp, so I made up for it. I think the pressure was on me, uh, and I put it on myself, and I responded. But yeah, going going back to uh, you know talking about Oli and, and, and you know, how to how to break in the league, as you said earlier, Johnny, like goalies take longer. For sure, no question. Uh, you know, to have a, a flurry or a price is pretty rare these days. And and if anything, teams want to kind of let you marinate in the minors. And Washington was really good at that to the point where you know they said Oli to the East Coast. There's a first round goalie playing in the East Coast for me. You know, they they sent me down for a month, my very first year, um, and and it just uh, you know I, I didn't get a real taste of the NHL till you know my third or fourth year in the minors, and and so uh, to me I, I thought it was a good way to develop. Uh, you know, defensemen kind of follow that path, not to the same degree, but um, I tell you, it's it's. Uh, Playing in the minors is, is a great learning experience. You, you, you learn a lot about uh, your teammates. You learn way more about yourself because uh, I saw some pretty talented players in the minors who never played in the NHL. And it was just because they couldn't figure it out. You know, they, they, they would go up to the NHL on a call-up and they're used to being on the first-line power play and all of a sudden they're, you know, fourth-line dump and chase. And they, they couldn't figure it out, you know. And um, so for, for me... I mean, not to mention, like, Ole and I lived together in the Myers, which Barry Trotz was our coach. And I remember Barry saying to us, why would you guys live together? <laughs> you're, you're each other's competition. You're battling together. That's funny. You know, like, it, but it was, Ole and I just had a great relationship. We just, we, we got each other. We, we both really wanted it and we supported each other. But there was still that competitive juice. Yeah. You know, I was happy when he did well. But I still want to get in that net. And and he knew it. He was the exact same way. And right through our whole careers to where, you know, I, I watched him play in the Stanley Cup final for the Washington Capitals. 
was one of his biggest cheerleaders. I wanted him to win that cup, you know. And uh, and even the year that we won the Calder Cup um, with Barry Trotz as the coach in, in Portland, um, I was actually in the in the playoffs with the Washington Capitals backing up, and Ole was making the run down in the minors. And uh, I can't remember who we lost to. I think it was the New York Rangers in, in the second or third round. And they said to me after we we're done, you know, it's it's like mid May, and they're like, Byron, do you want to go down? Uh, to Portland and back up Oli, and I'm like, of course. Like, what? It's what an opportunity. You know, it's sure it's a demotion going to the minors, but you got a chance to win a cup. And whether you're playing or not, uh, you know, you never. That's give big. Up. And it was true. Roommates down in the minor or in the in the on the road when I went down. So you know, to me, it was just a great experience. And you know, I got to hoist the cup and, and get a ring. And it's the Biggest ring I've ever won in my life, so I'm pretty proud of it. No, as you should be. As you should be. Who, who did you guys play in the finals there? Uh, Moncton, New Brunswick. Wow. So Moncton, jeez, okay. um, who were, were they? The, wait, not the Oilers. Uh, oh, I think the Winnipeg Jets farm team back there. See, yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's awesome. Like I I'm I'm a bit of a hockey nerd, but. Um, to hear some of the defunct AHL teams is really cool for me. And like that, uh, so the answer me this, so Moncton, that must've been, you know, they, they at least probably had good fans, right? Do you remember what the atmosphere was like being a young goaltender and, and having that success? I, I, I don't know about you, Byron, but for me, it was, you know, I kind of fed off that energy of the crowd and that's almost in, a, in, in any young goalie's career, a moment of validation. Did you feel that way? especially during the playoffs. I mean, the crowds were, were always great. You know, you got these buildings of four or five, 6,000 people, and they're just jam-packed. And it's uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I, like I played 14 years in the NHL, and honestly, the, the four or five years that I was in the minors, I probably got more stories just because, you know, you're, you're with uh, young guys, you know, barely anybody's married, and, and you're just tight. You're a real tight-knit. You're on a bus for six hours. Yeah. Right? Like, so I had a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, I remember the, the crowds were, our crowds in Portland were just amazing. And uh, I mean, we were kings. I mean, you know, Portland, Maine is not the biggest city in the world, but like it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, and, and I actually, one funny story is I, so I went down and I, I guess I was down for the, the uh, second to last round and then the final round. And in the final round, I didn't play anything because Ole was just, he was playing out of his mind. Like, he really... He was uh, lights out. He was lights out. And uh, so, which was great. Like, I would just, I wouldn't even nap in the afternoon. I would just buy soap operas and hang out or whatever. And have no worry about having to go in if something happened. And then I remember in the uh, finals, we're playing Moncton. And we're in Portland, game one or game two. And between periods, I, I would always go in the training room, talk to the trainers, or even go see our coaches. Because we had we yeah. great talk to John. Paul Gardner was the assistant coach. And uh, Paul would always show up with these homemade hot wings that he would make. And they're just, he was so proud of them. They were outstanding. Well, sure as, as it was, we're, we're, you know, second period, we're losing maybe, uh, you know, 2 nothing or something. Only's playing fine. It's between the second and third. I go in. I just start chowing down on these hot wings. They're just burning. Like, I'm tasting the abysmal, the old stomach. 
And uh, we go into the third period. Ole lets two in in the first minute. And Trotsy looks down at me and he's like, Byron, let's go. And I'm just looking at him <laughs> like, I, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm going out while I'm playing, but I don't feel it. Hey, coach, so, are you, are, are, coach, are you serious? Are you sure about this? Sure about it, yeah. So uh, he uh, sends me in, and I think they, they scored on the first shot. And <laughs> That one we're going to blame on the hot wings. Exactly. The hot wings. Whatever it was, but. Um, again, just, you know, fun experience. And, and then Ole came back and I think shut him out the next game and we went on to win the cup and it was, uh, just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That's, That's awesome. That is yeah. sweet, man. And, it, it, and it's, it's so important for a starting goalie to have that, in my opinion, because you don't see that very often nowadays. Um, or maybe it's not, maybe it's taken for granted how important that, you know, starting back of goalie relationship is to support each other the way. For you sure. That. You know, I'm sure you have to believe it, man. It helped, that helped Ole. You know, it, it, I, I, you know, I've been coaching now for as Coley has been for a long time, and I've always been a big proponent of that. Is making sure my goalies weren't hoping for the other to play badly. At least, you know, body language wise, stuff like that. Always openly supporting each other because you know, and I, and I've said this before. I, I think the only other position that's as mentally straining, um, as mentally straining as a goalie, is probably a pitcher in baseball, because the the game can be won or lost in, by you. So you. You can give up five goals in a period, or you can give up eight runs in an inning. You know, and it's extremely uphill battle to come back from. Um, but I, I I I just can't. Matt, I you just can't discount how important that relationship is to have with your partner on the bench because they can bring you back down to earth when you need to be or can pump your tires back up when you need to be. And some things that a head coach can't do because they don't, maybe they don't understand the position as well as they should. Well, you know what, Dwayne? You bring up a really cool point. And I, I, that last thing you said, I think maybe that has something to do with, with why we, we're seeing more head coaches that were former goalies. And it kind of tees up my question for you, Byron. Um, you have such an awesome, you know, stat line of of, of goalie partners, right? And, and I have a couple of questions, so bear with me here. Um, you know, coming into the league, what was it like, you know, for you and Ole to go through that, and then have a, a young Jim Carrey come in? And uh, like Dwayne said, we've all, all three of us being goalies, we've had partners that you know were really supportive. We've had partners where we didn't like each other. But I think, yeah, well, I think that there's this unwritten rule. Maybe, maybe it's just me. I'd like to think it's everybody else. You want your goalie, you want your goalie partner to do well, but you almost want them to win, uh, your team to win 8-7. You know, like, and and anybody that doesn't say that, fuck it, I'm sorry, you're either a liar or you're not competitive. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Even my best friends that were my goalie partners, deep down, I'm such a competitive son of a bitch. That yes, I wanted them to win. I wanted our team to win. I hope they made ten great saves. But I want to be in that net. So, what was that like uh, with you, Byron, right away, and um, having Jim Carrey come in? Correct me if I'm wrong. He came in, I think, in '92 and had a really great year, right? And you were on the roster. Yeah, it's uh, first of all, you're bang on. I mean, like a lot of it depends on the goaltenders. Like certain guys. are, are happier being backups than starters. They just they can't handle the pressure. Uh, they want to be there, but you know what I mean? It's just yeah. not their game. Other guys are pure starters. That's all they want to do. They 
just want to play every game. And then there's guys that are kind of in between or they bounce back and forth. And they can I handle was, both roles, yeah. Yeah, and, and I was always a starter my whole way up, junior, uh, you know, mostly in the minors. And then, you know, I kind of had to claw myself in the beginning of the NHL and then, you know, was a starter the whole way through. Uh, one of my best partners that I ever played with was Rob Tallis. He's now the goaltending coach in Florida. Yep. Um, he was my backup in Boston for most of the most of my career, uh, the five years that I was there. And he was a guy that loved being a backup. He he, he told me that. He goes, I don't want to play 30 games or more here. You know, I'm so happy being here. And, I, I, you know, I, I support you, Byron. And, and him and I had such a great relationship because – he wasn't a threat in my mind to me, where, which which happens when you get two number one goalies battling it out. Right, two alphas. The sparks are gonna fly. It's just it's just like like you said. I mean, of course you're gonna support him. He's your teammate, but he's taking your minutes. Whereas yep. Pat and I didn't have that issue. And uh, Pat Burns was was my coach. And, you know, Pat gave me carte blanche. You know, asked what games I wanted to play, which ones I wanted to sit. Rod, you're playing those ones, and, and it was a great relationship. But that's not very much the norm anymore. No, not at all. I, just too many good goalies. And I think that's part of it, that, that now there's, you know, arguably 64 starting goaltenders in the NHL. You know, it's it's not like back in the 90s and, and where you had 32 or, well, back then, you know, 30 definite starters and then a couple other guys pushing, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I will I will say this, Byron. I remember from his interview too. Is he did a deal like you said earlier in the interview? He he he, did, he seemed like he wasn't carrying a lot of swagger with him early in his career, especially like when he was sent down to juniors uh, back in the WHL. I remember him telling. Who are you talking about, about now? We're talking about Oli. Oh. No, Oli. Because you because you said he was very uh, you know um, you know. Uh, he was very. He seemed very humble to me, but uh, he didn't carry a ton of swagger with him early in his career. And I remember, you remember that story he told Cully when uh, when he scored the empty net goal. And how uh, the the, the goalie the coach of uh, the Caps the coach called, him. called him called him and said, "You know, I heard, I heard you heard, heard what happened, and he, and he he bragged about the game and how how good of a game he had." He goes. Well, you know, we brought you here not to score goals, stop pucks. You haven't been doing much of that. So. <laughs> that was that was awesome. That was a funny one. And I mean, um, Dwayne, you, you you mentioned it off the air, but Byron, what was it like? I mean, I'm sorry to jump around on you, um, but you know, you have you guys almost had a wealth of riches in in the crease in Washington. Would you say early on? Ridiculous. I mean, when I so. Mike Liu was there in my early days. Don Beaupre, for sure. And then, you know, they had young guys in Rick Tabarachi, uh, Jim Ribnat, Olby, myself. And then all of a sudden, they pull this guy out of college, Jim Carey, who basically comes and has, like, I think he went 16 or 17 games without a loss. Yeah, something crazy. He came in and lit the league on fire as a young guy, too. And you didn't see that a lot back then. and paying our time and, and uh, you know all of a sudden he comes to town so you know but what's funny and this is what's crazy about sports and how fine line and how you just got to take advantage of your opportunities because the far and few between 
is in my situation, I got sent to the miners uh, in Portland uh, when Carrie was kind of took over. And um, I think Oli was there as well, or they had sent, maybe they sent Carrie down for some seasoning. And they asked me if I wanted to go back then, it was called the International Hockey League. Uh, yeah, I know. The rival to the AHL. Um, I liked it because they flew everywhere rather than busing. And they said, do you want to go play for the Phoenix Roadrunners for the year? And I said, sure. <laughs> Portland, Maine, or Phoenix, uh, Arizona? Arizona. So I went to Phoenix. And this is how, what I'm getting at, how you get an opportunity, is I went to Phoenix. My roommate was a guy named Nick Vachon, whose dad, okay. you know, as Rogie Vachon, and so, guess who watched me all season uh, playing in Phoenix? Well, my roommate's dad, who was Rogie Bashan, the president of the LA Kings. And so, I went there and had a you know really, really good season and uh, loved it. And, of course, I'm playing with uh, all LA King prospects because that was their, their affiliate team. Mm-hmm. And so, that following summer, I got traded at the draft to LA. And then... You know, the, the, the story with L.A. was I go there and it's Kelly Rudy and myself. You took over that starting spot. And what happened is Kelly, uh, two weeks for training camp, we were all down in L.A. just playing shitty hockey, screwing around. And Kelly would always play out. And Oh, he yeah, he got hurt, eh? Broke his yep. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky and Rick Tock and Charlie Perry, Marty McSorkin, and Kelly goes down. Well, Guess who's the starting goalie on the training camp? This and, guy! This guy! You can't break the script, right? You just get those chances. In. And, uh, you know, going back to your guys' talk about, you know, confidence and, and you know, when you feel you've made it type thing. Up to that point, you know, for five years, I think I was 25, 26 at the time, you know, 75 to 80% of my career had been in the minors. And, and I, good numbers, like, you know, things were definitely progressing, but I still hadn't gotten that NHL, okay, you're, you're at this level now. That validation factor, right? Yep. Totally. And as a, as a, that tipping as, point. As a person, you know, it, it weighs on you, right? Well, fuck, yeah. you have that doubt in the back of your mind. I experienced that even in the OHL, not at your level, Byron, but me, Dwayne, we talk about it all the time. Do I belong? Am I good enough? All of this time, these minutes, all of the sacrifices, is it worth it? And and I think it's almost magnified, boys, being a goaltender, no? It, it definitely is. And, and, and that's a big part of why guys do and don't make it, is they just, it's mental. They just, they don't have that swagger. They have a bad night. Yeah. There. Or something, all the stars align, they have an incredible night. They roll it into an unbelievable week, and then all of a sudden, boom, things are, you know, they believe in themselves. Not too high, not too low, eh? You have to. And, and kind of the turning point for me was, Kelly was out till Christmas. That basically my first... So, hey, wait, really quick. You were just talking about um, LA, wait, when you came into L.A. and the injury. All right, so I'll tee you up with something like that. All right, three, yeah. two, one... Yeah, so as, as you were talking about, Byron, um, just coming in and, and, you know, hockey's funny that way with being presented opportunities. Uh, so, if you know, I'm sorry, I cut you off before, but can you kind of elaborate on what that was like and, uh, you know, with Kelly going down with that flukish injury and, and what you made of it? 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, again, I, I think I was 24 years old, maybe. And, and uh, you know, so first of all, I'm in L.A., which is crazy. Like, I, I still remember opening night, and I'm starting. Larry Robinson was the coach. Uh, you know, I'm playing with Wayne Gretzky, who was my idol growing up. I mean, it was just so real. And, and I remember sitting in the tunnel, you know, kind of leaned over, get, gather my, my thoughts before they announce your name to go out. And, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, Jane, Jane Fonda was walking by. That's uh, wild. The, the real Gary <laughs> comes walking in, like in the tunnel, like, and, and um, oh, God, I'm losing, losing who it is, but uh, um, anyhow, it doesn't matter. Just but playing she, uh, in that city, just playing in that city. As a goalie, we have nerves as it is. I can't even imagine, Byron. Hey, what about me, Byron? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was and now fun. they got and now, and but, now they got Snoop Dogg announcing games. Yeah, that's right. But you know, <laughs> to, to, to you know, on a serious note, as to you know, just that validation factor for me, it was. Uh, I think my contract up to that point was always a two-way contract. So you know, you got paid ten <laughs> bucks when you're in the NHL. If they sent you down at any time, you know, your, your salary was a tenth of what it was. Right? Yeah, no protection. You have a bad, no you know, every, you're living every day, man. And and my contract, I had to play 25 or 30 games, and then it turned one way, which meant if they wanted to send me down at any time after that, I was guaranteed money of my NHL contract. <laughs> and as the goaltender, that's, that, that's huge. It doesn't mean they won't say, yeah, it doesn't mean you still don't, you have to play well. Of course you do. But it's kind of that financial backing, right? And so that was kind of big for me. I think maybe late November, um, I was still living in a hotel because, you know, they hadn't told me to get a house. Because, yeah. You know, what was going to go on when Kelly came back? And um, my, it turned one way. Um, Dave Taylor, the GM at the time, said, Byron, go, go get yourself a house. You're, you know, you're here now. And for me, that just kind of gave you a bit of a pat on the back that, I actually played even better after that because it gives you, you that know, peace of mind, brother. The nerves are gone. The nerves yeah, are gone. Peace of mind. I mean, you know, your worries weren't all gone. You still had pressure every time you had to start and what have you. But it sure was a big relief, and uh, and and that was a big turning point for me. And and there's like one more good story from LA. I just wanted to throw at you. Just absolutely, uh, let us have it. Fire it up. Confidence. So Larry Robinson was a really big backer for me. And he was one of those kind of coaches that wasn't uh, a yeller and a screamer. He was very low-key, you know, almost too low-key, like too much of a good guy to the players. I think that might have been his downfall at the end of the day. But with me, he was awesome. And so I remember we were playing back-to-back games in uh, Ottawa and then Toronto. So, you know, full-on hockey hotbeds. Um, we go into Ottawa. I'm not having the best night. Uh, it was like, I think, 5-5, five, five, halfway through the third period. So Not a goalie-friendly night. Not the best night. And uh, worst goal I've ever let in in my entire history of hockey, including minor hockey. Uh, I think his name is Sean Hill, a defenseman for Ottawa. He takes a slap shot. It was from the circles. Not even the top of the circles. I'm saying hash marks of the far end. And you guys know, 
It was one of these where it bounced about <laughs> seven feet in front of me. And I went down in a butterfly to try and catch the bounce. And it squirted through my legs. And oh, God. Now we're down 6-5 with about 10 minutes to go in the period. We lose the game 6-5, right? Oh, God. I'm a rookie. I'm, you know, not feeling good about myself. No, you and, don't want to make eye contact with anybody either. No, uh, nobody. I mean, and, and I had a really good run at that point. So, it, you know, I mean, the guys were great. And, you know, and so anyhow, we get on the plane, fly to Toronto, playing the Maple Leafs the next night in the old garden. And, you know, I'm just assuming, um, I don't know if it was Kelly was there. I'm not sure who the other goalie was at the time. But I'm assuming I'm not playing. And Larry comes up to me just as we land that night and says, uh, how you feeling, kid? And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't have my best night, that's for sure. But, you know, I... You I took it like a man. And, yep. and he says to me, no problem. Let's go back at it tomorrow. You, you got it. And that vote of confidence for me yeah. was unreal. And the next night, I played one of my, my goaltenders that I love playing against. I just love his style, Felix Potman. And oh, the cat. Felix the cat, baby. Loved his style. Always loved He's playing against him. Sure. And uh, I still remember this game. So it's on Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada. You know, all my family's watching. And uh, we're tied 0-0 going into the third period. I had 41 shots in two periods. <laughs> and we end up in a 2-2 tie. Of course, there's no shootouts back then. 2-2 tie, I had 58 shots, which was the most I'd ever had in the NHL. And uh, ended up getting first star, along with Don Cherry, you know, Hockey Night Canada Town. That's awesome. And, you know, like one of my all-time best games of my life. After arguably, arguably one of my worst games as a professional. Uh, and again, it was all because of the vote of confidence that Larry Robinson gave me. And then after that, I went on a great run again. You know, and that's kind of that's the psyche of a goalie, right? How you, things you gotta do. It is. It, it is. You gotta. You gotta carry that swagger, man. I, that, that, that's the one word I like to use is swagger because if you if you don't have that swagger, man, it's it's gonna be a tough uphill climb for you to be successful at honestly any level of hockey as a goaltender. And that's why I made the comparison to pitching and baseball. If you don't have a type of swagger, if your your confidence is shot. You may as well mail it home, man, because you're not going to do very well. It's just, it's just, it's just a proven fact. I know it from experience. Probably knows from experience. I'm sure you know it from experience. Is yeah. that swagger you carry is all so important, and to get that from a coach, especially a guy like Larry Robinson, um, that that's huge, man. That's huge. Uh, just that validation, like you said, that he gave you. So I, I wanted to. Uh, sorry, boys. I wanted to. Well, we're on the topic of coaches and. Just dealing with people in the front office in general. So we haven't really touched on the the, the Boston your years in Boston, and uh, you know, hopefully we, we can uh, when we have you on in the future, Byron. And like I said, thanks again for joining us as long as you have so far. But um, I remember reading about uh, you know the contract negotiation that side of things. What was it like dealing um, with Harry? What is it? how do you pronounce it? Harry Sindin? Because I remember hearing that he was one of the notoriously hardest negotiators out there, correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so can you kind of give our listeners, you know, kind of a, 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 you know, a taste or a look behind the scenes at what that was like? Because keep in mind, you're coming off of, uh, you know, some solid hockey 
Uh, you've proved that you were, you know, elite goalie that could play, you know, you're top 10 in the league, top five in the league. You could be the best goalie in the league on any given night. Um, and I know that you guys, uh, you know, was it, so do you remember if it was before or after, did your contract, um, you know, expire before or after that, that series lost to Montreal? Uh, it was before. Okay. Uh, I know exactly, so I'll, I'll give you a quick backstory on that. Thank you. Uh, I played two years in LA and uh, I signed a two year contract with the LA Kings that summer. And uh, that, so I went and bought a house in Manhattan Beach. Uh, you know, not a big deal. So cool. Uh, you know, great contract for me at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, bought a real nice house. I was closing on it the end of August. And, uh, I was pushing the people to get out earlier than, <laughs> yeah, for, get out of there. Because I wanted <laughs> to be in for, for training camp, right? For sure. So I, I was being a bit of a dick, but you know, we all agree. And so I remember August 30th, Driving from the practice rink uh, home before, you know, to go sign the papers to close on the house. That's and so I get a call sweet. from Dave Taylor, the GM. Byron, uh, we just traded you to the Boston Bruins. Oh. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. And I'm just like, terrible. you got to be kidding me. So oh. first call was my agent, and I, I said, you know, what do I do about this house, man? Like, can we get out of it? And he's like, Byron, you can't get out of it. They'll sue you <laughs> because of the way that you're trying to get me put out early. And so we ended up closing on the house. I called my movers, who were supposed to be loading up my apartment and driving about 13 blocks to my uh, new house. And I said, guys, you're going 3,000 miles to Boston. (laughs) 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 So um, fast forward to uh, the contract deal I had with Harry Sidney is two years later, after that contract expired, but at the time of the camp. I, I did. I came off two of my arguably best years in the NHL. Um, you know, was up for the Vezina and lost it out to some jack from uh, Buffalo. Who's his name? I think he's right. He's right there. That Schmeltashik. We refer to him as the goat here. Hey, I don't know about you, but I spell goat B Y R O N. But he. Uh, um, so so yeah, I had had a great two seasons. Bruins made me a three-year offer, and it was a great offer. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's all relative, right? Um, but I was also in comparison with my old buddy, Willie Kulzig, who had a, a four-year deal uh, at a much higher number that I was, you know, kind of comping ourselves at amongst other guys. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, he was – the Boston Bruins uh, and, and Harrison in particular, they were notorious to play hardball. And they did to the point where, uh, you know, I actually sat out. And, you know, back then it was the, the Players Association preferred you to sit rather than go to arbitration. And for me, it was real tough to do. I mean, I sat till I think it was almost November. And I think the team went one in 10 wow. in the first 11 games. And, oh, you know, like, like, I mean, it was, I had all the leverage in the world, like all the leverage and he would not budge. And he actually went to a point where he said after training camp, and it was all public. That was the other thing. Both of us were in the papers all the time. In Boston too. A, like that's tough. Yeah. The Boston Globe. And I'm living it. Like I'm in Boston. Right? Oh. I, you know, got my house, my wife's pregnant, my first child. And, 
Oh. It, was, uh, it was tough times, but uh, he, he actually said to me, or in, in through the papers, he said, okay, now that the, the training cap's over and Byron hasn't reported, we're going to start taking our offer and subtracting it every day that he sits out. So usually you think, okay, at least I've got a bottom line. No, now he put the pressure on saying, you know, you're losing $20,000 a day or whatever the number was every day that you sit. And so it was, uh, it was tough, man. Yeah. I, I went, uh, like I said, about two and a half months. And, you know, I was in full contact with the Players Association, Bob Goodnell at the time. And my agent wanted me to basically sit until I got traded. And I, I just said, you know what, guys, I can't do it. Like, it goes against your nature yeah. as a teammate, yeah. right? I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Joe Thornton and Ray Bork and, you know, these guys, yeah. right? Like, they're like, hey, when are you coming Absolute back? Absolute legends. Come on, fuck, and, buddy. Where you where you at? Where you at, Bizey? <laughs> so uh, what I ended up doing is I, I, I fired my agent because I just felt we weren't on the same page. And because he basically said to me, you may sit all season, but we're going to do it until you get traded. And I just said, I'm not doing that. No, my wife, six, seven months pregnant. And, uh, and I, I called Harry directly and I said, I want to come in and talk. And, uh, wow, what a move. Drove into the garden. Uh, it was a fleet center back then. And mm-hmm. we went into Harry's office and we sat down for a good hour. And we just went through the contract with bonuses and everything that he never moved on my salary, which was, you know, a sticking point. But he moved a ton on the bonuses. Nice. The opportunity, right? Whereas, and that's all you want, right? At the end of the day, that's all you can ask for as, as a competitor, as an athlete. But I just think it's, Byron, for you to go toe-to-toe with one of the most notoriously hard-nosed negotiators, not only in hockey, but in all of sports, like, to me, man, that shows some serious stones. And yeah. I'll tell you what, to be a fly on the wall in that room, oh, man, that'd be something else. It's pretty wild, man. You know what's funny is uh, one of my... my uh, marketing agent, uh, a former goalie, Cleon Daskalakis, played for BU, played for the Bruins. There's uh, a name. Uh, <laughs> what a name, yeah. Hall of Fame name. Freak all the way. <laughs> but he, uh, he he got a great picture for me that I found on my wall, and it was later, uh, so so I ended up signing, you know, early November, came back, and the least they did is they held off on the team picture until I got back. Oh, that's huge. So, when we're at photo day, you know, I went and sat on the bench. I was the first guy on the bench. So I'm just sitting there at one end of the bench and kind of just looking around. And they had Harry, he was the next guy, have him sit in the middle. But there still haven't been any players or anyone else. So someone had snapped the picture of just me on one end of the bench, Harry almost at the other end of the bench, and that was it. Like no one else, just empty chairs and what have you. And so I've got that one framed because I think it's hilarious. It was, it was put in the Boston Globe the next day saying, you know, Harry and Defoe's reconciliation. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty apropos. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Now, you, you, meant, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, you know the, the story about the house in L.A. and having to close on it as you're packing your shit. As, as old Mike Commodore would say, pack up your shit and you're heading to Boston. Um there's a story that you made, you mentioned off air with me that I that I want to tee up about you and Oli and a, and a, and a bet about a mor- about a mortgage. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so backing up to when I was playing uh, for the Phoenix Roadrunners uh, when Washington had loaned me there, it was ninety four ninety five. So it was 
the year that the NHL went into a lockout. Um, and so Ole was with the Washington Capitals at the time. So he got locked out, was basically doing nothing. I was playing in, in uh, the International Hockey League with Phoenix Roadrunners. And so Ole came out to visit me during the fall sometime. And uh, he was just like, wow, this place is like, he'd never been to, to Scottsdale before. And he was like, this place is awesome. I said, yeah, I know, I love it here. And so he's like, let's buy a house here together. So, you know, of course, two young, dumb guys, we figured, yeah, this place is great during the fall, like <laughs> 75 and sunny every day. It must be great in the summer, right? So we, we buy a house and, uh, you know, 50-50. And, of course, the next summer, we realize that it's 130 degrees every day while we're trying to train and play golf. But um, the next season, when I was my first year in L.A., and Ole's in Washington, we, we met up with our, our game in, in L.A. And so I texted him, or well, I guess back then, I don't think we had cell phones. I talked to him from a landline and said, uh, I don't know whose idea it was, but we're like, hey, let's, whoever wins the game, the other guy pays the full mortgage. And uh, <laughs> so we're like, yeah, great, let's do it. So I remember we were down, we were losing 4-2 with about five minutes to go in the game. And only let in two late, late in the game, and it ended up being a four-four tie. Oh, only! First thing he says to me after the game when I find him in the tunnel, he's like, "That's the last time we ever make a bet with the Warriors." Like, he was so sure. He's like, "There's no way I let in those two goals if we didn't have a bet on one." He said, "I love it." Pressure, pressure was on, like like we we're trying to close out a goose egg. You know, your, your pressure is on that last minute. Just hope, let's get this in the barn. Let's get this in the barn. Oh, you know, but Ole couldn't do it, huh? He couldn't bring it home. <laughs> do it, you know. And the, you know, honestly, you know, uh, that, that's a, it's a great story. But go, uh, going back forward to that, those teams you had with Boston and that '99 run you had, '99, uh, you mentioned you came third in voting for the Vesna, uh, losing to that uh, that that douchebag you called on. <laughs> he also beat us in the playoffs that year. Yeah, I remember. I remember that vividly, and I remember how that seat, that, that that playoff year ended for us. Not too, not too hot, not too good. That's true. Um, but, but, uh, man, that year you had, honestly, uh, you might have deserved the Vesna that year, man. Uh, you know, if not for Dom, I mean, the numbers you put out were outstanding—a nine twenty-six save percentage, a one point nine nine goals against—and you know, you helped them return to the playoffs. You know, just take us through that team and that roster. You actually have some absolute, absolute legends on that team, man. Um, and, you know, between Bork, uh, you know, Sergey Samsonov, uh, Joe Thornton, big Jumbo Joe. That uh, team was stacked. That. Stacked, absolutely stacked. Yeah, we, uh, you know, it was, I remember that season, obviously, it was the best season I ever had. And it was, uh, you know, Pat Burns was the coach who, you know, God rest his soul, he, he was an amazing coach. My, my, my best coach I ever had, by far. I, I loved how hard he was on players, but he was fair and honest. And uh, interestingly, a guy that never played the game, right? He used to be a cop. And, uh, when really? It, yeah, never played hockey to a, a level, high level. But um, what I did love about him was he was very defensive-minded. And uh, <laughs> even to a point where I remember – we were in a bit of a, a slump during the season, and uh, I wasn't playing my best. And he, he came, called the guys in during practice, and he basically just said, you know, you guys got to get your shit together. 
our goaltending has been winning us games. It's time for you guys to step up. And, uh, you know, I just kind of looked around. I was like, because I wasn't playing wow. But he would never yeah. blame me, right? It's like one of those coaches just could do no wrong. But uh, anyhow, yeah, I mean, we, we had a great season. And uh, uh, I think it was Carolina who beat in the first round. And then I'm pretty sure we won the first game of that uh, second-round series against Buffalo. And we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then old Dominator there just decided to turn it on. You know what? He, he to me, is – is he wasn't my favorite goaltender because of his style. But by far, I think, one of the hardest working – just a guy that would never give up on a puck. And then if you look at goaltenders in today's world who are all playing percentages in this, you know, butterfly where you just take the 80% out and, and just hope it hits you – like, talk about night and day from how Hasek played the game, right? Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't a big guy. Yeah, he wasn't a big guy. And I always tell my goalies that, too. It's just, like, you know, uh, and I, co- I coach for his – actually, I coach for his foundation now here in Buffalo. And I, I always tell him, you know, if there's any if – there's any, if there's anything about his style of play, I would teach you. The only thing I would ask you to apply to your game is that never give up attitude on a punk. Because yeah. he never, ever, ever gave up on a play, gave up a puck, nothing, ever. And that's the most important attribute, in my opinion, that any goalie could have. Because the moment you start giving up on plays is honestly the moment where I think, you uh, you know, you kind of, I don't, I'm going to just say give it up by yourself, maybe. Well, I, I think, the, Dwayne, I think the moment you start giving up on plays is the moment you pick the wrong position. But I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Dominic kind of revolutionized the, well, that notion of, Byron, you played in, in that era where we really started to see the position of goaltending really change and take a big leap forward, right? You, you know, from the time that Glenn Hall introduced the butterfly to you guys really implementing it in all facets of your game and no longer, you know, doing the old Jim Park, uh, you know, skate save, you know, toe outside. Um, but Dominic, you know, I think he, he not only incorporated all that, but he kind of threw out the notion that it has to be done a certain way. And it's been really interesting to see his fingerprints all over, you know, the Pecorines. Hell, even a guy like Johnny Quick, it, he might not be, you know, uh, you know, a psychic coming of Dominic Hasek, but the way that he is able to implement traditional butterfly style with, you know, that crazy, I call it the cowling slide, guys, because he's able yeah. to get onto his, you know, his cowlings and basically do a split. Yeah. It's it's a butterfly slide in a full split. It's wild stuff. Um, if only I was born with Gumby's body. But um, yeah, listen, I Byron, I know we've kept you for so long. I I have a couple more questions. Um, and, and I mean, fuck, we could do we could go all night. And uh, we really hope that once hockey comes back on, we could get you on for a, a playoff run. Um, uh, it's been a blast, maybe, buddy. Maybe you and Oli. That, that would be something. an electric factory. Hey, we, we got it going. You put three goalies in a room and something, something's going to happen. It just might take a minute. Um, also, big shout out for all those that aren't watching that are going to listen. Uh, that's a beautiful dog. What's the what, what, what's his or her name and what kind? Uh, this is Oshi. Love it. Uh, no relation to TJ Oshi. <laughs> and, uh, Shepherd. Love it. Love it. We're, we're a big we're a big dog uh, podcast. Yeah, I got a. Uh... I got my dog here. He's not he's not in the room right now, but Dom the dog after. Uh, I'll give you one guess who I named him after. But uh, no, go on, call it. All right, so I, a couple more questions for us. So one one thing that I noticed um, 
is that when you got traded, um, do you remember? Okay, so Dmitry Kristrich, is it true that you were traded with him twice? Twice. So can you give us the, the backstory on that? First, and, and a first and a fourth, I think. First and a fourth, and, and he, he was a good player. Don't get me wrong. Like I mean, it, definitely in that deal, he was the the lead, you know, trade guy because he put up forty goals when he got lead. And then, uh, yeah, two years later, uh, him and I again are sent from LA to Boston. It was uh, for I think Joseph Stumpel and, and uh, Glenn Murray. So it was uh, bizarre. Yeah, I I, I, I had to bring that up. Just I thought it was really interesting. It, you know, sometimes you see that, but it's usually right after, like, two guys are traded and then flipped to a third team. I just thought the fact that you guys were traded, you know, from Boston to to L.A., um, and then, what was it, L.A. to Boston, you said? From Washington to L.A. and then L.A. to Boston. That's, yeah, just for it to happen over a course of, what, two or three years, and um, I thought that was really unique. And, you know, I, I for some strange reason in my head, maybe that's the goalie in me, I see you guys meeting up at the airport saying, oh, fuck, not again. What what the hell did we do to each other? No, but thank you for answering that. Dwayne, what do you my, got? My, my last my last question, um, obviously, uh, me and you discussed it off air, was a certain episode of a show called The Jersey you did uh, with the Disney Channel uh, where you were forced to cry during that episode. Um, I've seen that. I mean, I, it only lasted one season. Um, the whole concept of the show was, was an old, old jersey that these kids, you know, that found it in an attic in a box. And when they put it on, they would, you know, go into the form or be transported into the body of an athlete, a professional athlete. And one of the episodes, you know, involved you. So I want you to take us through that, man, because that, that had to have been wild. It, it was actually crazy, yeah. So it was, uh, it was Disney that, that did it. So it was, it was a big production. It wasn't some, you know, monkey-type production. Um, you know, they flew me out first class from Boston to LA. I had my own trailer and hair and makeup. And I remember reading the script and it, and it said in it, you know, I was trying to memorize these lines and then it said, I have to cry. And, um, and <laughs> so the, the premise of the story, you did a good job explaining it, is that uh, a teenage girl finds this old jersey in an attic, puts it on, and all of a sudden she's Byron Defoe. <laughs> I love it! It, it was pretty cool how they, you know, did the filming and stuff. And, and uh, so, literally, uh, I'm on the ice in full gear, and then all of a sudden, you know, she's me. So, but I'm the one that's physically got to be crying, right? Because on camera, that's what it is. So it was, oh, man. Uh, let's put it this way. I, I'm pretty sure it's not on YouTube. Thank God for that. Um, it's not. I check. Trust me. I, oh, I wish your. I wish like hell it was just so your kids would have that in the back in their back in their back pocket. I, I, I do have a VHS copy that I let the kids see, um, but uh, I did get a Screen Actors Guild card, and I actually received about seventy three dollars of royalties. For yeah. Well, we'll take it. I remember in the one scene after the whole the whole crying thing is you made this like routine glove save I think it was and you dropped the puck behind that for your defenseman and your friend's like whoa glad to have you backfire <laughs> it was like it was like they acted like it was some huge windmill glove save I was just a quick glove save you made and just dropped it behind that 
I think you just didn't get done crying on the ice. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Hey, I got I got one quick story for it. Just I think you guys appreciate it. Is it regarding goaltending uh, coaches? Fire so, me up. In LA, my goaltending coach was Donnie Edwards. Believe it or not, which I, I think uh, Buffalo fans would appreciate. Oh yeah, so that was cool. Uh, talk about different styles though. And then uh, when I went to Boston, my goalie coach at the very beginning was uh, Cheevers, right? Old Cheesy, which was wow. oh my god, throwback. Yeah. So cool, right? Like I mean, I, I loved him growing up. And the funny story was our very first practice on the ice. I, I just been training there that summer, as we talked about. So we're in training camp. And he's like, comes on the ice, and and Cheesy was like so laid back. I mean, he's the king of that town, right? Won a couple cups. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he's just like, all right, Bizey, let's uh, let's get to work here. Uh, brings over a shooter. He's like, okay, let's get that. Let's warm me up a bit. All right, all right, what do you want me to start doing? You know, I think I'm going to do some you know, side shuffles or butterflies or whatever. Right, something. All right, so let's do some skate saves to the left to start. I, I looked at him and I said, so what? He said, yeah, skate saves. I'm like, cheesy. Like, I haven't made a skate save since I was seven. Like, skate saves? <laughs> And he's, he's just sitting there. He's like, he didn't really know what to do, right? He's like, uh, no, just give it a shot. <laughs> so I a shot. As you were illustrating earlier, make it a way to break an ankle. Love it. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. So uh, there you go. Uh, you never know what type of goalie coach you're going to Hey, just just love the randomness of it. You know what? Today we need to work on that uh, toe blade save here, boys. Let's work on the old uh, the shot that goes off of our knob that we've all made that save, that lucky ass save that missed with our blocker and it hits the knob by the grace of goalie god. I actually I actually reached out to Cheevers uh, on Instagram too. I'm hoping I get a response from him too. So, you know, if you still correspond with the guy, give, give him your blessing to, to get back to us. I'd appreciate it. Hey, Gary, you met a couple of beauties, these washed-up goalies. They'd have a great time with you. No, um, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, we've had a blast with you, Byron. We really have, man. I know our fans are going to love this. Um, and just a quick reminder, guys, that this show is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop. Um, you know, we'll be back in a second, but please be sure to tune in to this ad read and be reminded that we are brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitt's is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal... Come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, 
It is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitt's is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show. And we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to Two Goalies, One Mike. That was a word about our great friends at Mitt's Barbershop. Justin and them do a fantastic job. And as us here in Western New York are slowly opening up, please be sure to go in there and get your uh, your lettuce trimmed. I know I don't know about you guys, but I'm sporting a greasy mullet right now, uh, yeah, so I got right. I got to get in there. there. Um, so, all right, uh, Byron, I, I can already tell that man, this is one of my favorites of all time. I know our fans are gonna love it. Um, I wanted to end it. Uh, well, I don't know about about Dwayne, but I got I got one more question. But before I do, uh, I just wanted to you know give a quick shout out or, or maybe ask you about it um, if if you're okay with it, uh, but. Uh, you and Olaf, uh, your work with um, the autism awareness, I think that is so cool and so awesome. Uh, if, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine, but if, if you could just give us a quick rundown of what you do. Um, so many so many families' lives are touched on autism, and, and what you guys are able to do I think is so incredibly special. I have a sister that's uh, in a developmental psychologist and a, a father that's a, a social worker, so I, I have kind of a, a first-hand look into the work that they do uh, to help those that are affected by autism. But big, big shout out to you and what you guys are able to do, man. Yeah, no, thank you. It, it's uh, you know my, my firstborn uh, Eric, who's now twenty, um, uh, was diagnosed with autism back when we were in Boston, and uh, you know it, it's the reason it's a, a, a puzzle piece, the symbol for autism, is because no one has any answers, and it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's been 20 years of learning for my wife and I, and, you know, I give her a ton of credit, like when uh, it's called early, early intervention, when, it, you know, a kid is two years old and the brain is still developing and you get diagnosed, that is the key time to get to work to figure out how you can help bring this child out of, out of you know, the depth of where they are. And, um, you know, with Eric, we're very fortunate. He's, uh, he's doing awesome. He's got a job now. He's graduated high school. Uh, you know, he, he'll, he'll probably never drive a car, but, you know what, there's a lot of us probably shouldn't be driving cars, so it's not the end of the world. Right. And, um, you know, uh, Oli's son as well has autism. Yep. Great. And, you know, all I can say for people is, 
you know, people who are in a situation, do as much research, ask as much help as you can. That's the way to get it done. And for people who don't or are not affected by it, is catch, give people a break at times. You never know what's going on in their lives, especially with a child. And, you know, their minds work at a different pace than the rest of us. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, let's be nice to everybody out there that we can. Absolutely. Yeah, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll piggyback off that, uh, you know, working with, you know, Ashix Heroes and uh, I, I'm a volunteer and a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, whenever they give us tickets for, you know, uh, events for us to go to, like Sabres or Bills games, like I do also see kind of like firsthand some of these kids from underprivileged backgrounds who do deal with like mental disorders and, you know, things that are obviously out of their control. And, you know, just, um, you know, what you and Oli are doing for, for autism, that's just unbelievable, man. And uh, I know that um, in the tri-state area, in the capital, in the, the capital district, Washington, um, I know you know he's one of the front runners as far as you know uh, fundraising for uh, autism research. And you know, you guys are both just a blessing for people who families who deal with that. You know, uh, not deal with that, but you know, you know, have you know have that. Um, uh, you know what I mean? Just uh, you know. I, I, I can't, I can't You're in you yeah, in that situation, yes, yes, yes. It is, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, fortunately, I think people are making strides, and hopefully with research and what have you, they actually find something that can really help these kids out. Absolutely. Well, hey, to finish this up, um, Byron, once again, like a phenomenal interview. What, what you were able to do on the ice is incredible. And, and now our fans are going to get to see just how much of a butron you are off the ice. Um, let me ask you this. What was it like uh, being part of, you know, that first wave of hockey players in Atlanta? <laughs> well, you know, my Atlanta years are, are uh, not the fondest of memories. <laughs> people ask me about Atlanta. Um I got to tell you, the people down there are amazing. You know, yeah. The hospitality. Uh, you know, my, my neighbor who lived right next to me was Andrew Jones, who played for the. the Not a big Braves. deal, Atlanta oh, Braves. Pretty cool to see who he was. Uh, but you know what? Our first day there, his wife came over with a, a home cooked chicken pot pie. That's awesome. You know, so um, as far as the city and, and the people, I absolutely loved it. It was a great place to raise my family for the three years we were there. But as for the hockey side of things, I mean, there's a reason they're not a hockey franchise there anymore. It just it was a really tough market. We just didn't get there. You know, yeah, well said. Well said. Too. The Atlanta Flames and the Thrashers. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I just want to sneak that question in. We're running out of time here, but um, just just another reminder, folks. Today's interview with Byron Defoe was brought to you by our sponsors over at Better Biscuit and by Mitt's Barbershop. For all your haircutting needs, see Justin and the boys at Mitt's Barbershop. And for all your hockey training needs, fire up Better Biscuit. I know I am during this quarantine. But seriously, Byron, thanks again uh, I know Thank our you, listeners man. are going to get a big kick out of this, and I'm serious. When we get back into hockey mode, I can't wait to get you back on. It'll be electric. Absolutely. See you, buddy. Uh, take care. Stay safe. All take the best care. to you and your family. You too. Yep, stay safe, Byron. Thank you. So that'll do it for two goalies and one mic. Uh, big thanks again to Byron Defoe. What a fucking legend that guy is. Uh, so, 
Tune in next week. I don't think you guys will have any trouble recognizing the voice of our next guest, a true legend here in Buffalo and across the hockey community. Uh, for Dwayne Steinell, for Byron Defoe, I'm your host, Johnny Cullen. We'll be back next week. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Second period. Where players dance with skates of flash, the home team trails behind. But they grab the puck and go bursting up, and they're down across the line. They storm the trees like bumblebees, they travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside, it's a 1-1 hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Take me where hockey players face off down the rink And the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink Now the final flick of the hockey stick and the one gigantic scream The puck is in, the Canadians win the good old hockey game Oh, the hockey game is the best game you can name And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game Oh, the good old game is the best game you can name and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game oh the good old hockey game is the best game you can name and the best game you can name is the good old hockey This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. Will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support. And be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Okay. I was just a young buck. Like, I had no business being there. I don't know who was the other goalie got hurt or whatever. But it so was. Uh, and then we had, uh, I'm sure we were in New York, the Rangers. And so they had me and Tabarashi in practice. And Schoenfeld said the next goal that he scores, the other guy starts the playoff game. 
And so what <laughs> we were doing, you know, you do like three on two breakout, you know, someone yeah. come in, you set it up behind the net, they come in, pick it up and go down three on two. Right. Yeah. So Shawnee was like, he still could shoot the puck. You know, he was probably 50 and yeah. I swear to God, coming into like bottom of the circles, full on slapper, straight at me and then straight at Tabarachi. And, you know, we're taking him off the shoulders. We're, you know, because we're like, he basically said, whoever, you know, wins this battle, you play the next playoff game. Was that at the end? Of, was that at the end of practice? It, no, it was like in the middle of practice. Oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and, and it was kind of funny is, him and I are both going toe for toe, like, you know, big glove saves. And, Love hey, it. I got scored on. I got scored on. And ah! But it was just hilarious to see a coach coming in and just bombs from about 13 feet away. I, I love it. Hey, really quick. I hey, well, first of all, I'd love to hear that one on the, on the when we start recording. But uh, D- Dwayne, I don't even know if I told you this, uh, but Byron, I had. Do you guys know the name Adam Clendenning? He, I know you do, Dwayne, but he's uh, a yeah. Niagara Falls guy. Uh, Byron, he's had a, he's had a, I think he's probably at maybe fifty to hundred games in the NHL. He was a second round pick. He played at BU. He was actually he might have played for Torts in Columbus. Well, he he was a year younger than me, but he was always good enough to play up at the 91s. Uh, we're at holiday ranks. I think I'm a squirt major, right? So I'm a young guy. Um, and Clendenning's dad is one of the coaches. And this guy, he's an Alberta guy, like a Western Canadian. He, he I remember one thing. He told us a story. Keep in mind, I think we're 9 or 10, maybe 11 at this point. He's like, back when I played, instead of glass, there was a chain link fence. And we're like, Jesus, this sounds awful. Who would want to play? So it gets worse. It gets worse, boys. And he's like, oh, you guys are so soft. And we're like, "Uh, Coach, uh, we're in second grade. And he said, oh, when you get in the corner, you got to really get dirty. And we're like, what do you mean? Like, push him. He said, no, one time I was in the corner with this guy and I bit his ear. And we're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? (laughs) Oh, so yeah. Anyways, that season, maybe not, I don't think it was that practice. You know how back when we were younger, it was the goalie's job to pick up the pucks, right? So the whole team's maybe at center ice talking about, you know, what Fortune are going to run as, as the Zamboni doors come open. I'm down at the far end, picking up the pucks out of the net. You know, there's a nice deep pile. Good old Franklin Denning, the 50-year-old psycho of a coach that bites ears. He wound up, took a clapper, and it was one of those ones where it gets enough air and it kind of curves in. And here's poor old Cully on picking up pucks. I eat it right in the ribs. You know that spot, boys? Right underneath, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm 11 years old. I had a cracked rib, maybe two cracked ribs. I, I mean, and I never realized how how painful those that that injury is. I was very lucky. I never had that injury playing. Uh, Byron, did you ever have ribs or any cartilage damage there? I've had bruised ribs, never cracked. But I mean, I've had horrible, right? You cough or you laugh, and it's just uh, getting out of bed too. I remember that sucked. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. All right. Well, hey, um. Really quick with the uh, with the uh, the mic check, boys. If you could just be quiet one second, I'll play this back, okay? Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. 
the podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.